I met a traveller from an antique land who said two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell its sculptor well those passions red which yet survive, stamped on lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains, round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Hello and welcome to Poetry Non-Stop. I'm Patrick Widdis and that was Andy Bennett reciting Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley, one of the most famous sonnets in the English language. Or is it? Andy will be telling us more. He's a fixture on the Norwich spoken word scene and an avid writer of sonnets in Shakespearean, Petrarchan and other forms of his own devising. He writes them throughout February each year for the 28 Sonnets Later Challenge. He's here to explain what a sonnet is, recite some and tell us why we shouldn't be afraid but enjoy reading and even writing them. A sonnet, to my mind, and I think there's... Everything I say from this point onwards can be disproved uh, with with examples from from anywhere in, throughout the world of English literature. I imagine, but two things that make a, a poem a sonnet: it's got fourteen lines, and those fourteen lines should be an iambic pentameter. Then we get into sort of more like there are different styles of sonnet, broadly Shakespearean and Petrarchian, uh, which talks about the rhyme scheme. Um, so a, a Shakespearean sonnet will usually go A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D, E, F, E, F, G, G. A Petrarchian sonnet will go A, B, B, A, A, B, B, A, C, D, E, C, D, E. But all of that goes out the window when you actually sit down and start writing one. If you actually go back and if anyone listening to this can get the text of Ozymandias up in front of them, you'll realise it has no rhyme scheme. It has rhymes but it has no rhyme scheme to speak of, which is, that that's one of the things I love about the, the sonnet, is that it has fixed rules, and then you can kind of go, well, we'll not worry about that rule too much, a little bit, so it gives you a little bit of Yes, well, I think a lot of people uh, come across the Shakespeare and the Petrarchan uh, forms at yeah. school, yeah. and it can put people off, because uh, it, it seems such a rigid and old-fashioned form, but yeah. um, it's sort of quite... Uh, uh, sort of uh, varied and uh, modern as well. Yeah, it, it can be, and it, it's. I, I just find this very, very flexible form. In the the Petrarchian, certainly, is and one of the other thing rules in inverted commas of of the sonnet is that around on on or around line nine, the the sonnet should change in tone or subject or or something like that. So what you find is you you end up writing something which can be. A question in the first eight lines and then an answer in the in the next six or you can do a setup for a joke in the first eight lines and then the punchline to a joke in the next eight lines um so it, this sort of break um just over halfway through means means you can do a lot of things with it you can you can as I say ask a question and answer you can tell a joke uh you can tell a story you can set something up and then undercut it in a sort of pathetic kind of way which is something I do quite a lot um in in the sonnets I write for the 28 sonnets later uh so it it's just so incredibly versatile and I do find it's 
it's incredibly suited to I know it's originally an Italian form but I find it's incredibly suited to the English language as well once you add in the, the pentameter as well so if you look at if you look at Ozymandias there is a Volta like around I think it is on, on round nine it, do, the, it does change but the, it doesn't have the rhyme scheme of Petrarch and yeah. so on. It doesn't have the rhyme scheme of Shakespearean and so on. It's got Shelley's own rhyme scheme. He did another one called England in uh, uh, England in 1819, which, again, he just makes up his own rhyme scheme. There's rhymes in there. What he will do to kind of compensate for that is often when he breaks the rhyme scheme, he'll put a little internal rhyme somewhere in there as well, which is all very flashy and clever, but it's very nice. If listeners out there are thinking, oh, I would like to try writing a sonnet, I would say possibly start with the, the assumption that you're going on 14 lines and it's Einbeck Pantometer. And once you've got that, and once you've mastered that, the whole world opens up. And the more you see, the more you'll see people just playing with that and, and just messing around uh, with the ideas. And I, I did one, for example, entirely in trochaic pentameter just to see if I could... It's a lot harder, but you know. Just... And uh, what's trochaic? Trochaic is the opposite of iambic. So with an iamb, where you've you've got the uh, a foot of two syllables unstressed, stressed. The boy stood on the burning deck. A trochaic would be the opposite. So you'd have the the stressed for, uh, foot, mm. stressed syllable first. Um, so I think my, the, my first line was ah the troch ah the trochy with impulsive footy wheels and dances through the poem's meter. Um, so you, it, you, you're always ending on a soft syllable, which is actually quite hard to make rhymes happen because you then got to make the rhyme happen on the penultimate syllable. But it's fun. It, it's um, trucky is is a, is a very sort of whirling and and dancing kind of meter, um, which which lends itself to to very sort of flowing flowing verse, which uh, which I like. So, how did you first become interested in sonnets? I think. You can probably go back to my my GCSE English teacher, Mrs. Galloway, who, if I believe she's still alive and on Facebook, ever gets to listen to this, uh, I can thank. But it's it's the only thing when I was a kid, you know, you do music lessons and you see musicians on TV and you go, all right. Uh, You see, you know, you see books in a bookstore and you see people writing prose and you go, I can see how that works. You see mathematicians and scientists and whatever. I never saw a poet, a live poet. You know, until I was in my twenties, I imagine. So I don't remember being taught poetry apart from this one lesson where Mrs. Galloway sat down and went, "Abba, abba, CDE, CDE." That's how you do a Petrarchian sonnet, um, and it just stuck. And we wrote one. I was about fifteen, and it probably sounded quite a lot like the Jesus and Mary chain or something <laughs> like that. Um, and it was, I'm sure, awful, um, but it just stuck with me. And when many years later, I decided to start doing sort of stand-up poetry I was like I don't know anything about poetry except this I'm very much an autodidact so I just started writing them because they are short you can't just just throw throw yourself into it and end up writing you know something like the Dunciad or or, um, Paradise Lost it's not going to happen but you can look at a 14 line poem and go that's an achievable goal and then I just the more you do it, I think it's it's been really nice doing the twenty eight sonnets later with um yeah our, I should uh, yeah, explain we, sh- we should probably is. mention that so um starting in twenty twelve 
myself and another Norwich poet called Adam Warne and uh, uh, another Norwich poet called Russell J. Turner and a poet who now lives in Nottingham uh, called uh, Leanne Moden. It started off as I, w- I was just going to challenge myself to write a, a sonnet a day for the, the month of February because it's the shortest month. And then I went, this is insane. Uh, so I asked Adam if he'd like to alternate days with me. And he went, that's a really good idea, but also that's insane, trying to do one every two days. Uh, so we expanded out to four. So every February we, we each do seven sonnets. We've done them on a theme where, you know, for example, we did one where we created a, a fictional town and populated it with characters. We've done one where... Um, uh, just after the EU referendum vote, it was like 28 days. There's 28 countries in the EU. We'll all take a country from the EU and write a sonnet about, and something about that. And it's it's really just uh, the, these themes are very much just a prompt because there's nothing worse than the the blank white page. For, for I must write a poem. I can write about literally anything. Uh, so at least if you've got like these tiny little prompts, and uh, we post them up on a blog. And as I said this is our ninth year of doing it so we're currently ongoing at the moment Leanne's just posted one today uh, which is absolutely lovely so yeah when when it came to doing a challenge I'd been hanging out with Tim Clare a lot and uh, he's very much in this idea of challenging yourself and pushing yourself and creating Mm. rules uh, for yourself in the kind of Ulipan way Um, so I was like I want to do a challenge we've been doing a lot of speed poetry uh, with the poetry takeaway as well so I was like what can we do quickly what is doable in a day, what is doable every four days, uh, what is not going to ask too much from the reader as well, because, again, it takes you a minute, minute and a half, really, to read a sonnet. And the output has been up and down, because sometimes, uh, I'm not going to lie, you wake up with a hangover and go, oh, God, I'll write a sonnet today. You can still bash one out, but it's not going to be your greatest work. But I would say I'm re- I've been writing seven a year every February, uh, seven every month, every seven every February, and uh, you'll always get one or two. You come, I'm really actually quite proud of that. Some of them make it into my set, my live set. And it being February, it's a really nice way of coming out of that sort of winter Christmas slump where you're just like, I haven't written anything for ages. Am I even a writer? And this horrible gripping self-doubt that, that we get. And to be able to go, OK, well, now I've got to, because otherwise I'm letting these three down. It, it just works really well and we all come away from at the end of February being really pumped about the coming year I suppose even though we're two six of the way through it but yes yeah, so have you learnt to work within the limitations of the sonnet it's uh, quite off-putting to many people I'd say yeah I've I'm uh, a, a very outspoken if you talk to anyone on the the Norwich poetry scene uh, advocate for placing limitations on yourself again referring back to the sort of ulipo who are if, if you don't know it's it's worth working looking up to anyone listening uh, a group of french writers from i think like the 50s or the 60s who believed that it was a kind of uh reaction to sort of surrealism and it was like you know you're you guys aren't free we're the ones that are free because if you place constricts on yourself then your brain will burst through its bourgeois prison and you will find you know <laughs> And it is just one of my things, and I, I believe I share this opinion with W.H. Auden, who's a, a poet from York as well, I believe, it, where with free verse, which is obviously very popular and has been for a century, with free verse, you never know if it's finished. You never know. You can literally go anywhere. So it's like, I could put a line break here, I could put a line break here. Whereas if I go, I need, I've got two lines in which to say this. 
means I've got 20 syllables in which to say this. How can I get it to say this? And you're kind of taking the words and the language you love and hammering it into, into place in some ways. I'm constantly got, when I'm writing, I will have three tabs open on my browser. Mm-hmm. I will have two uh, rhyme zones or something similar to that because I've got to do an A, B, B, A rhyme. So I've got to know where I'm going to be in four lines time. And I've got a thesaurus because I need to, I need something that says greedy, but greedy actually the syllables don't fit. Or I need something that's three syllables that needs uh, that means the same as greedy. So can I put rapacious in there? Will that fit? And so on and so forth. So I'm constantly I'm constantly finding new words that I didn't know for starters because um, you know who knew what periphrastic means until I, ne- I needed something that meant loquacious but it had different stresses and and things okay. like that. So I. I never find it restrictive. I find it instructive in a way. It kind of some sometimes you get to a point where you've bashed sort of four or five or six lines out, and I find, and this is going to sound pretentious, but the, the sonic kind of starts writing itself from that point onwards because there's a limit of places you can go. You you know you know you must find uh, another a rhyme. You know you must find two more e rhymes or something like that, or end with a nice little witty couplet. So I actually find it focuses me more than restricts me, if that makes any sense. I I can only say a million times, I think everyone should just try it. Just try a couple, try one Shakespeare and try a a Petrarchy and see how it comes off. I will say Shakespearean for funny poems, Petrarchy for serious and and, and worthy poems is generally how I end up. Um, But that could change for other people. Uh, Do you write much in other forms? I'm more on a, on a personal note. I've uh, I've, I've got multiple sclerosis and I can't stand up for twenty minutes on stage anymore. Um, so I'm a lot of the stuff that was in my set can't be used anymore because I'm prowling around the stage. So I'm writing stuff now that is more uh, that I can do play sitting down, and so actually a sort of free verse kind of approach to that. Is, is easier I think because it, it can come out more like a storytelling if you wanted to use analogies like I don't know Ronnie Corbett or Dave Allen or something I just I'm just sat here and we're going to be friends and I'm going to do, do, do some nice little poems um, so I am writing more in a, in a free verse kind of way I've been through say the Wikipedia article on, on form, formal poetry and I've, I've tried at least one of everything you know, I've done a Villanelle, I've done a Sestina, which you should never do. Um, you know, things like that, Pantoum and all, all these weird and wonderful things. Just, I think it's it's just, it's expanding your toolbox. You know, you might have a, a, a 14 millimetre spanner, but you can always use something with a 15 millimetre spanner or a 12 millimetre spanner or whatever. It's expanding your toolbox and you learn something about the craft and your approach to it by by doing these new things and setting yourself these new challenges especially I mean, something like a villanelle if, if you don't know it's um it's you're, you're repeating uh the same two lines repeatedly through the piece so those two lines have to be really really well thought out before you can go any further and then you get halfway through it and you go oh this isn't going to work i'm gonna have to totally rethink one of these lines and things like that so it's it makes you ask questions of yourself, but the feeling of of sheer joy when you finally like bash something out that that obeys all the rules that you've set yourself, um, it, it's absolutely joyous. 
uh, to do that. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, can we hear some of your sonnets? I can do my most recent sonnet, uh, which is... So I was given the prompt of writing about uh, the monster of Glam's castle. Now, that is a, a tale about a... Uh, an heir to whatever dukedom it is that Glam's Castle runs, who was allegedly born deformed and walled up uh, and just kept alive like the, the, the evil twin from The Simpsons or whatever, mm-hmm. bucket of fish heads and so on and so forth. But just beneath that, there was a story about uh, a guy who uh, wanted to play cards on the Sabbath. Nobody would play cards with him, so he sold his soul to the devil to, so he could get a partner to play cards with. And that just really... Um, <laughs> really attracted me it's like this idea of, of people selling the selling their souls to uh to, to the devil or satan or whatever for what might be just really frivolous things so this is called uh, this is the one i wrote 5th of february 2020 this is called the devil went down to heston which i'll explain where heston is if you need me to oh man i never cease to be amazed in all my dealings with your craven kind how worthlessly a human souls are praised how heedlessly the gruesome pact is signed some swap for youth and money, power too, the fleeting glories of a mortal coil. Eternal youth's a common theme, that's true, revenge and pretty virgins to despoil. These bargains seem so frivolous to me. A game of cards? A donut? What the hell? I find your aspirations so bizarre. Except, of course, that strong desire to be that worthy favoured of my clientele, a fucking god at playing rock guitar. Heston is where Jimmy Page was born. <laughs> I see. Yeah. So, yeah, um... That that one starts as a Shakespearean. It's got A B A B C D C D, but then it goes C D E C D E at the end because for the 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 second half of the uh, the the poem, which has a term I can't remember, the sestet. For the sestet, I just make it up as long as there's some rhymes there. It's you know if you're if you're trying to be funny, nice little couplet at the end. But I, I like the delay. If you're ending with a couplet, then on line thirteen. A good hearer, a good listener or reader is going to know where line 14 is going. Whereas if you're going CDE, CDE, then you actually you're rhyming on line 11. Yeah, it sounds like line 11. So you can be a bit more surprising about where you go, um, which which I really enjoy as well. Um, so that's my most recent sonnet. Um, Lord knows. I've, I've, obviously, having written just for 28 sonnets later, seven a year for the last nine years, that's 63 and I've probably written maybe easily another 20, 30 just because. So I must be approaching treble figures. Shakespeare wrote 150 of them, and they're only, they're only the ones that got published. So Lord knows how yeah. many he wrote. So, yeah, we've still got a way to go to catch <laughs> up with him. Yeah, so uh, for anyone who wants to write a sonnet, um, how would they go about it? I, w- I would say in terms of a-, a prompt, I would say think of... Literally, um, like a two-line joke, like why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? You've now got two parts of a statement, of, 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 of a saying, a phrase, whatever. So you can now go, I've got eight lines to go, why would the chicken cross the road? Could it be this? Could it be this? Could it be this? You've got eight lines to do that. And then the sestet, the six lines at the end is just going to be because you wanted to get to the other side. You'll see, uh, I've got a friend uh, called Lee Nelson, who's a big fan of the, the sonnet as well. And uh, he, he takes, for example, 
popular songs like uh, Living on a Prayer for example or mm-hmm. something like that and he will rewrite those as a sonnet he's done weirder ones than that so you know you can you can take some original source material and just rewrite it as a sonnet I think when I was first getting back into writing poetry uh, as an adult rather than a, a spotty teen the first one the first sonnet I wrote was about how to write a sonnet or what the rules of writing a sonnet were um, so it was like uh, a sonnet, only 14 rhyming lines, 140 syllables ain't much. It's hard to write a poem that spit sticks to such a strict and miserly amount of time. It's tricky tricky to compose a verse sublime within such constricts, one that's meant to touch the audience without some kind of crutch uh, of how to cheat and just contrive the lines. Upon line nine, the rhyme should really alter. I think it's technically called a volta, which leaves the poet just two couplets, say, to end the poem in a stylish way. But all you really, really need is pen and ink. A simple sonnet's easier than you think. So something as easy as that is just, they're the rules of how to write a sonnet. I've got 14 lines to say them in. So I would just pick yourself something really simple and then give yourself enough room. And don't be scared of iambic pentameter. Once, <laughs> once you master iambic pentameter, a whole world is open to you. I'm not saying all poems, I'm, I get accused of this, I'm not saying all poems should be metrical, I'm not saying all poems should be in form. I think it, every every poet worth their salt should be able to do that and then choose not to, rather than choosing not to because they don't know how to, if you see what I mean. I think you, you should try, try it, do it, mastered it, done it. I've written a Sestina. I will never write another one, but I'm confident that I, I can. I know I can do it. If, I, if I, somebody put a gun to my head and said, write a Sestina, I could do it. And I've learnt what works, what's good about it, what isn't good about it. It works great on the page. Never do a Sestina live. It's absolute audience poison. Those sort of things you learn from, from challenging yourself to do. Push yourself outside your comfort zone is as well. So that that's another reason, I think, why... The sonnet has now become my comfort zone, but still I've got this challenge of having to write, come up with a new one every four days throughout the month of February. Um, so it's still not that comfortable, but you get to stage. I think any of the the four people who have been sonneting with me for for this long, two hours, you've got a functioning poem done, and the the hard part now is just coming up with the funny idea or the you know how you what what do you want to say which is the same for any piece of writing ever so you've lost nothing how about yourself have you have you tried uh tried a sonnet i have i have written a few and i'll certainly try to write another one following your advice <laughs> and i would just sort of echo your encouragement for anyone else listening to this um if you're writing poetry it's some good challenge and it's because it's so short and because it doesn't take up like too much of your your day i suppose to to write one if you come up against some sort of block and you're going i really want to write this go away write as a sonnet you never have to show that to anybody but that being forced having to force your ideas through this sieve of of form may well unlock something you go all right i see Oh, I said blah blah blah, um, and that may well just as an exercise, just for something to do to get you writing. Because if if you're blocked, the best thing to do is just write anything mm-hmm. and go. Do you know what? I'm just I, I'm up coming running up against the wall with this. I'm going to try and write this bit. This uh, you know, write a, a sonnet from the opposite point of view of the character of the poem you're trying to write or something. Just it'll just start breaking down some barriers in your head, and that's just two hours of uh, not 
that you're not wasting beating yourself up because you're not writing. Yeah, but also you might write the sonnet, feel it's not quite working, but there's an idea and there yeah. you can reshape and yeah. write in another form. Absolutely. Sometimes I've gone in with, uh, I absolutely want to end with this cracking gag, this lovely little couplet at the end, um, and then written the first 12 lines and gone, no, this doesn't work anymore. So I had to throw away the whole point of starting this sonnet, which has been thrown away, but that means I've now got a super sweet little couplet in the 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 wardrobe for sometime next year or whatever, mm-hmm. and I've written a brand new poem um, that I wasn't expecting. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting all misty eyed now about you know the sonnets that go away and things <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, so about um, halfway through the twenty eight sonnets uh, as we're speaking. Um, yeah. What else have you got on? Um, well, I'm going uh, as I say. I'm, I'm kind of reinventing myself because apparently that's what David Bowie used to do uh, as through medical reasons I'm reinventing myself as a sit down poet at the moment so writing new materials as I said that works from a chair uh, on a stage or whatever just to be demanding and prima donnaish when you know I'm, I'm doing sets and I go well, I can't I can't work under these conditions you'll need to get me a chair because that always enamors you to people putting on gigs but I, I, I also think there's a lot of uh, I, I'm enjoying looking at where I can get the gags, where I can get the um, the little hmm, tear jerky moments, without being able to use body language as much. Because you know, uh, not all performance poets, but many performance poets. You've you've ever, ever watched Luke Wright live and see how he treats the mic stand? It, it should be against the law, you know. And that, so the the huge effect that body language has on a performance poet. As even though we're, we're, we're selling ourselves as people who write and, and, and are wordsmiths and whatever, body language is very important. If I take that away by just sitting on a chair, where can I make up some ground? Where have I opened up some opportunities for myself to go? Are there gags that I can do sitting down on a chair that a person standing up can't do? Uh, and, and things like that. So that's kind of uh, focusing my uh, attentions at the moment. Yeah, well, uh, look forward to hearing it. Have you got a, a sonnet to finish? A with? sonnet to finish. So this was one that came, again, from 28 Sonnets Later, and the prompt that year was we all took um, our favourite pieces of like visual art, like paintings and things like that, threw them in a bucket, mixed them up, and we all drew seven out. Mine was a picture. Now, I, I think it's called... Four Seasons in One Head. You might know it. It's like a painting of a, 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 a guy's head, but like his nose is like an aubergine and his hair is like grapes and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's quite a famous picture. I, can't, I cannot for the life of me remember what, uh, what the artist's name was. But I wrote this one, and this one for many years became my closer as my, um, for my set um, because it kind of summed up, I think, my celebratory nihilist uh, approach to, uh, to life and living. So this is called uh, Release. We know the seasons, pre-built in our genes. We know the order, how the cycle goes from dawn to dusk with intervening woes, from birth to death with scattered sunny scenes. We feel those cyclical and planned routines, how every budding blood-red rose must surely die and wilt and decompose, bequeathing just a fragrance on the breeze. We know we're dead. Yet still we carry on regardless, ludicrous, quixotic braves. Achievements count for nothing when you're gone, 
except the smile you carry to your grave. Romantic types like me would say with pride, it's not the destination, but the ride. And you'll notice one of those lines did not have ten syllables in it. It had eight, but I left a pause in it, so it sounded like it had ten syllables. A caesura, yeah, for those who are interested. <laughs> Yeah, well, Shakespeare did it, so why yep. can't you? <laughs> exactly. That, that's basically been the approach to my, uh, for my, most of my writing life. If he can do it, I can do it. Uh, or one of them was if Ginny Wolf can do it, so can I. But yeah. Andy Bennett there finishing with one of those simple but important lessons this podcast throws up from time to time. If Shakespeare can do it, so can we. I hope that leaves you inspired to write a sonnet and that you will share it with us. Please send it via the website poetrynonstop.com or share on social media using hashtag poetrynonstop. On the website you will also find out more about Andy and links to more of his work, including all the sonnets written for 28 sonnets later. I'm going to leave you with my sonnet. As I said, I've written sonnets before. A few years ago, I wrote one about my niece shortly after she was born. With this challenge, I thought it was time to write one for her younger sister, who's recently turned one. This is for Alma, and it's called Wonder. The first time that I held you, I could see. The wonder in your eyes at all you saw. The ceiling, fingers, faces, kitchen floor. Your mouth the perfect O of disbelief. A whole new world was blooming in your mind. For this was not a sequel, that's for sure. No neural paths were carved like this before. We longed for you to tell us your designs. A year has passed, you're reaching out for more. Your legs go strong, you're yearning to explore. Each day still brings new wonders to behold. But some that once shone bright thou feel old. Amaze yourself with something every day, and never let the gift of wonder fade. So that's all. Thank you for listening, and keep writing. <laughs>